Welcome to Canine Nation. It's Sunday, November 18th, 2018. And this is episode 111. Hi everyone, this is Eric Brad. You know, many years ago when I first made the move to reinforcement-based training, I spent a lot of time reading books and watching videos and going to seminars to learn what the proper technique was to use reinforcement-based training. And one of the things that really stuck with me was something animal trainer Bob Bailey said, and that is that training is really a mechanical skill. And I realized that if training were a mechanical skill, then by focusing on basics and practicing those skills, I could get better and I could do a better job with my dog. As the years have gone by, I've seen a lot of trainers come out with new systems or new methods of doing this kind of training. And many times these systems don't focus on those mechanical basics. They seem to implement some new kind of approach that claims to simplify how we do our training. Really, what I think these systems do is they simplify the way we think about training. So yes, somewhere in there, those basic skills are being applied, but the systems that these trainers come up with, they make it easier for us to remember the important aspects of working with our dog. So thinking about my own training, Back in the days when I was just learning about reinforcement-based training, what were the things that I focused on? How did I try to take all of this literature and all of this new knowledge and condense it down into something basic, something that could help me remember how to practice those simple mechanical skills that would make me a better trainer? Well, it boiled down to something that I thought of as the three C's, criteria, consequence, and consistency. And I think those things, more than anything else, helped me to understand and do a good job with the kind of training that I was trying to do. In the 18 or so years since I started down that road, I've watched a lot of different trainers publishing books, coming out with systems, all of which are variations on that very simple theme. I wanted to share the very basic approach I took to really focus on getting my mechanics together, to getting that process down so that I was doing the reinforcement-based training the best way I could. So this is my essay, The Three C's of Dog Training. Everywhere you look these days, there's a new method or system for training your dog. Dogs have been living with humans for tens of thousands of years, and most of those relationships have gone just fine. In fact, not everyone takes their dogs to formal classes for obedience or training. Many people just train their dogs the way they've always done it or seen it done by family, friends, or mentors. And somehow, it just works. World-famous animal trainer Bob Bailey has said that animal training is a mechanical skill. By this, he means that you can teach someone how to do the right actions in the right sequence And you can show them how to train an animal, any animal, to do any behavior that that animal is physically capable of doing. 
Sounds like a pretty bold statement, doesn't it? Well, behavioral science and the current research happens to back up Bob Bailey's claims. The science of operant conditioning, pioneered by B.F. Skinner, lays out some clear laws of behavior that, just as Newton's laws of motion did for inertia and momentum, define and explain how behavior operates and comes about. By understanding and applying these laws in creative and constructive ways, we can drastically reduce the time it takes to train a dog to sit or back up as compared to other hit-and-miss techniques that we've tried over the centuries. In my view, all training methods come down to what I call the three C's of training, criteria, consequence, and consistency. Regardless of whether you use clicker training, or the Keeler method, or suggestions from Caesar Milan, you're still using those three C's in your training. So, let's take a look at these individually, and hopefully you'll see what I mean. Criteria, quite simply, is what we're looking for the animal to do once they are fully trained. On the surface, this may seem simple enough, and it is, but it can get complex pretty quickly. Starting with the basics, if I want to teach my dog to sit, what are my criteria? Well, I want him to put his butt on the floor while keeping his front end propped up on his forelegs when I give him a cue to sit. But now the questions begin. Where do I want my dog to sit? In front of me? To the side of me? Close to me? Far away? I may, in fact, want all of those, but I will need to teach them all individually. What about how I want my dog to sit? Is it okay if he flops over onto one hip, or must he stay straight? Do I want one forepaw raised in the air? Do I want him to be looking directly at me while he's sitting? What about when do I want my dog to sit? Obviously, I want my dog to sit when I give the cue, but how long should he stay in that sitting position? Until I release him from that sit? Finally. In what situations do I want my dog to sit? At home? At the park? In the presence of other people? In the presence of barking dogs? On busy streets? All of these are real-life situations and will present a challenge and will, to an extent, constitute new criteria for this sit behavior. And again, I will need to consider training in all of those situations to make sure that I get the behavior I want. Criteria can be as complicated or as simple as we want it to be. But keep something in mind. We cannot expect our dogs to meet criteria for which they have not been trained. It isn't really fair to train your dog to sit at home and in the park and then take him to a busy dog show and be angry that he's not able to sit in the middle of the hustle and bustle of all those people and all those dogs roaming around. The clearer you can be about criteria when training, the better results you'll get. Knowing up front how, when, where, and under what circumstances I expect the behavior to happen will go a long way toward helping me prepare my dog to be successful through training. Make sure that you make opportunities for your dog to learn everything you want him to learn before you ask him for it in, quote, the real world, unquote. Consequence is the point on which many training methods differ. All good training systems will have criteria, 
and they will also have equally well-defined consequences for performance or non-performance of that specified behavior. A number of training methods label themselves as positive training, and these generally involve providing a pleasant or rewarding consequence for the performance of a behavior that meets the criteria. So, your dog sits the way you wanted, and they get a cookie or a treat or a pat on the head, maybe even access to the backyard. They did what was asked, and they got something they wanted in return for it. Operant conditioning calls this reinforcement, because an animal will be more likely to perform a behavior if the consequences of that behavior are pleasant. Other training methods work on the opposite side of the spectrum. These involve providing unpleasant or aversive consequences for non-performance of a behavior that would meet the criteria. In these methods, the animal works to discover the behavior that stops or prevents the unpleasant consequence from happening. Operant conditioning calls this punishment because the animal will be less likely to perform any behaviors except the one that successfully avoids or stops that unpleasant consequence. I should mention here that operant conditioning is actually a complex science and has much more detailed terminology and analysis of behavior, but that's for another discussion, and I'm just going to use these two examples here. So, in training, there is a consequence, pleasant or unpleasant, that seeks to encourage the learning of a particular behavior. What's important here is that the consequence comes after the behavior. Many humans think of teaching behavior in terms of how to cause that behavior to happen by what they do before the behavior. But according to behavioral science, it is actually the history of what comes after the behaviors, the consequences, that will determine whether that behavior will be more or less likely to be offered again. Let's move on to consistency. This is where you get to the magic C. Everything we've talked about to this point can begin to fall apart if you are not consistent about what you are asking for, the criteria, and what happens after the behavior occurs, the consequence. A lack of a consistent experience can slow down or even disrupt training so that the animal fails to learn or learns an unexpected variation of the behavior you wanted. Consider that training, from your dog's perspective, probably seems a lot like what we would call a game of charades. In the beginning, it's a guessing game. It can be a lot of try this and try that until something seems to work. That process can be unnecessarily complicated if you're not consistent with your communication about what is and is not acceptable based on your criteria. Once you get your dog on the right track, it's easy for us to assume that now that he has done the correct behavior 10 or 15 times, he has the concept down and will just know it for life. That's just not the case. It's easy for me to forget that my dog is not a furry human being. Since I spend so much time with her each day, it's easy to see why I can forget that. But the truth is, her brain is much smaller than mine, and it's structured quite differently. She may need frequent reminders about which version of a behavior that I want. So, it can be important to continue letting your dog know what you want, always being consistent with your criteria 
and your consequences to make sure he knows what is expected. In our house, we choose to use rewards for correct behavior. It's fun for the dog, and it makes us feel good to reward our four-footed partners for working with us. So far, I've been talking about the three C's of training, but there is one big T that lurks in the background. It's called think. I remember a saying from my earliest days of learning computer programming, garbage in, garbage out. If you wrote bad programs, your results would be similarly bad, and it's the same with training. If you don't think about what you want and how you're going to provide consequences, things can go off track pretty quickly. Most importantly, you need to think while you're training. You can only be consistent if you are mindful of what you are doing. Some trainers like to keep a journal while training to help keep them on track. Others are just naturally good at keeping track of what's going on. Whatever your particular situation, it's important to make sure that you have your training together before you begin working with your dog. It's not just efficient, but it's also kinder to them if you are clear and consistent by having your plans ready before you start. For myself, I find that these little formulas and memory tricks help keep me on track with my training, and they can save me an awful lot of time and wasted effort. I would encourage you to look at your own training and see where you can apply these three C's to better effect. I find that there are new ways to look at my dog and my training every day, and most importantly, it's lots of fun for both of us. Training shouldn't be hard, and it shouldn't take a lot of time. There are lots of ways to train, but if you keep these three C's in mind, you may find that your dog is picking up on your training faster and with less stress as he plays that guessing game to figure out what you want him to do. Have a look at how you work with your dog and see if there are ways you can improve on any of those three C's. Is your criteria clear enough? Are you providing clear consequences with good timing? Are you being consistent in how you deliver these things? And don't forget the important T. Think. Just take a bit of time to consider what you are doing before you train, and I think you will find that things can be easier for both you and your dog. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We have over 100 episodes available both at the caninenation.ca website and also available through iTunes and other podcast directories. You can also find Canine Nation articles at the lifeisahuman.com website or follow the links under writing at caninenation.ca. There are some great podcasts out there about dogs, behavior, and training. I'd like to share two of my favorites with you. Dog Talk with Nick Benger is a weekly podcast out of the UK. Nick interviews some of the best and brightest trainers in the world. He gives you a look not just at training concepts and techniques, but also some great insight into the person he's talking with. Lots of great information and some wonderful stories from Nick's guests. You can find Nick's podcast on iTunes and all of the major podcast directories, or you can check out his website at nickbenger.com. That's N-I-C-K-B-E-N-G-E-R.com. The Animal Training Academy podcast with Ryan Cartledge is another great interview podcast from New Zealand. 
Ryan's guests are from many areas of the training world, not just dogs. Ryan has interviewed horse trainers, behavioral scientists, wild animal trainers working with zoos, and lots and lots of great dog people as well. Ryan's podcast is also available at iTunes and the best podcast directories. You can find Ryan's website at animaltrainingacademy.com. So head to your favorite podcast listening app and check these out. Canine Nation is also on Facebook. You can find our Canine Nation page where we post information about the latest articles, podcasts, and news about Canine Nation events. We also have a discussion group, the Canine Nation Forum. It's a place to discuss the podcast, the Canine Nation essays, life with dogs, and training our dogs, or just to share some information we found around the Internet. Thank you for listening. I'd appreciate it if you'd share this with the dog people in your life. I guess that's all for now. Until next time, have fun with your dogs.